Welcome to the book at the end of the shelf. My name is Christopher Sainton Clark. On this cold and windy evening, I'm sat alone and in the dark. I'm here to read you bedtime stories that are far from PG or mild. I wouldn't choose to play this podcast if you're listening with your child. Some of these are dark, some are funny, most are downright gory. But when you open the book at the end of the shelf, there is always a bedtime story. Episode 4. Peripety. A gunshot echoed throughout the field on the calm and gentle day. The pheasants just died, Ollie thought to himself. Or whatever it is they like to slay. He continued his trek to clear his mind from the spat he just had with his mum. This wasn't the first time this had happened, and Ollie was on the run. He found the fields to be calming, a great wide open plain where he was merely a dot in the distance. That thought soon kept him sane. Now, in certain cases of tragedy, of horror and in dread, people may have a premonition that someone will wind up dead. Ollie, however, had no feeling that something dark was coming. He had enough on his plate to worry about. He had a sad song he was humming. He found himself at the field's edge and crossed it into the wood. The trees stood tall around him as a leaf floated into his hood. As he picked it out of his jacket and let it drop to the ground, it stopped dead still in the cold, crisp air, and there wasn't a single sound. It was like being inside a vacuum, or maybe his ears had popped. The leaf was suspended, the bird song had ended, the whole world seemed to have stopped. But it was only one brief moment before this paused world did play, and in a peculiar display of wonder, the leaf slowly floated away. It rose up towards the sky with the same pace it would drop. It twisted and fluttered and danced up the tree straight back to the top. It clipped itself back to the branch, there was no break in the stem. It was a perfect leaf that never had fallen. The tree was complete once again. Ollie stared for a good while, contemplating what he had seen. He loved paranormal occurrences. This wasn't the strangest they'd ever been. He recalled a story he read online about a man who knew when he'd die. He said it would be in six years' time, ten past four on the 12th of July. The day soon came and his body, which before was healthy and strong, promptly broke down on that fateful day, and by ten past four he was gone. There was no illness, no explanation, no reason for him to pass. It just happened exactly as he knew, as if written in the stars. Ollie then thought of the Bermuda, which took countless by boat or plane. They would enter this stretch in the ocean, and never be seen again. This leaf made Ollie smile. It was his own crazy event. It stopped him feeling so small. Ollie's leaf was heaven sent. It told him that he was unique. He'd seen what no one else could see. That leaf almost sung, you're special, as it floated back up to the tree. 
He continued into the woods, holding this pleasant thought in his head. The autumn scene was vivid in its colours of orange and red. When his feet stopped plodding along, and they brought him to the next field, he stopped there, still in awe, his cold, cracked lips stayed tightly sealed. What Ollie had found was a place that was blinding with colours so bold, a perfect little oasis with oak trees 500 years old. And the only thing that struck Ollie, more than the stunning view, was the overwhelming sense that he had deja vu. He'd never stepped foot in this place, not as far as he was aware. Although he hadn't changed his normal route, it was as if he teleported there. His eyes soon clocked something that lay dead still on the dirt. His deja vu was worsening. His head was starting to hurt. He approached the thing with caution, his heart thumping like a drum. His legs couldn't move as quick as he thought. His body was becoming numb. Sprawled out on the ground was a boy, no movement or life in the shell of what was once a living being, who lay there dead where he fell. Fragments of brain, skull and hair had soaked red the once bold green grass. Little was left of the boy's face, his head had been shattered like glass. From the jumper that covered his shoulders, to the boots that sheltered his toes, Ollie noticed that him and the boy were wearing the exact same clothes. The chances of this were minute, and Ollie could offer no reason. The dead boy had no jacket on, and that was the only difference between them. Ollie felt sick to his stomach. It slowly rose and sat in his throat. It fell out of his mouth, and Ollie couldn't stop it from dripping down onto his coat. He'd never seen such images of horror, of blood, contortion, and gore. This was the first time he'd ever been sick out of pure terror before. Ollie couldn't process his thoughts, as the bird's song once again did stop. Another paranormal occurrence caused Ollie to jump, stumble, and drop. In a swift and uncanny movement, Ollie watched the boy shoot up straight. It was one quick action as if he was thrown, it was like the boy had no weight. The fragments of skull, bone, and hair shot straight back into the poor boy's head. They filled all the gaps like a jigsaw puzzle, and the boy was no longer dead. And as he stood there, in front of him, Ollie could plainly see that him and the boy were exactly the same, they even hunched identically. Ollie stood slowly to look at himself as his clone moved in such a strange way. The boy twitched and jolted unusually in this terrifying morbid display. This version of Ollie was bruised and muddied and a cut lay above his eye. He had a terrified expression on his face as if he thought he was about to die. Suddenly, out of the blue, Ollie's confusion was made even worse. The imposter ran back into the woods, but he did this in reverse. His whole body was moving and quick. He did not need to look where he was going. His eyes were focused forward as to what was behind him. There was no way of knowing. Yet he dodged every obstacle, as a normal runner could. And after a few moments, he disappeared backwards, far off into the woods. Ollie had nothing left to do but to run and run away fast. He'd been chilled down to his very core and didn't want these delusions to last. But he didn't run for fear of his life, or for fear of the gore that made him so sick. He wasn't scared of the imposter, but only wished to find the boy and quick. He felt comfort in his pace, in sprinting away from this scene. A few friends would believe the tale of the leaf, but his own corpse, well, that was obscene. 
He was determined to follow the course that the clone had left behind him. He would track him down and question the boy. A photo would be proof that is surely binding. But there was no trail for Ollie to follow. It was being erased as the boy reversed away. His pace was outmatching Ollie's. He could move backwards with less delay. The boy became a dot in the distance. Hope of questioning him was growing frail. The strange boy had been brutally killed, but somehow death had failed. He was one moment dead and bleeding, his brain scattered far on the floor, and the very next moment he was running away as if his death was a thing to ignore. Ollie couldn't stop puzzling it through. It was like reality had been hacked. He soon stopped pondering and running though, as against his head a branch was cracked. The branch had clocked him over the eye, producing a blisteringly great red rash. He was one moment sprinting, the next moment tumbling in what seemed like just a flash. His fall soon ended with a thump that knocked him out cold, and the trees watched this unconscious boy lie still on their roots so old. It was perhaps twenty minutes or maybe an hour before Ollie came round and found the strength to lift himself up off the frosted ground. His head spun like a kaleidoscope, the trees merging into one, a giant tapestry of pain and beauty made worse by the glaring sun. One step was discomfort, the second was pain. But as a gun sounded once more, he soon found the strength to run again. He navigated the branches, ducking low his spinning head, replaying the terrible image of his own body lying dead. He was running now with such speed that you wouldn't even know he had just been knocked out with a firm and heavy blow. He threw off his sick stained jacket, the thing was only slowing him down. It flew off like a parachute behind him, and now faster Ollie could bound. His strength was pulled from the depths of pain and the woods were becoming thin. He soon emerged back in the oasis, the one where he'd already been. He could have sworn he was running away from this twisted, haunted place. He had turned around to escape and to pursue himself in chase. But somehow he was here, disorientated more than he first thought. His legs soon started to slow, his hamstrings becoming torn. He twitched and moved so nervously, fear shooting daggers through his spine. He'd seen this moment once before, but he was living it this time. He stopped still in front of the oak, where his doppelganger once did lie. And with a bitter yet understanding look in his face, Ollie knew he was about to die. A gunshot echoed throughout the field on the calm and gentle day. I have to start. Ollie thought to himself, as that last thought was soon blown away. Thank you everyone for listening to Peripety. So this one is quite an interesting one for me because uh, Peripety was... Um, the first, yeah, the first short film I ever made. I originally wanted to go into film. I wanted to be a film writer and director. I just still kind of do, but I found myself working a lot more in theatre. Um, and I knew at at the age of, well, I must have been 16. Yeah, 16, because I just left school. I knew that if you wanted to get anywhere in any kind of creative industry, you had to had to be out making stuff and, and, and just doing something doing something uh even if the quality 
wasn't that great. You still had to go in and do stuff um, and get your name out there. And so I had this concept of um, a boy who's out in the field. Um, I don't think I even conceptualized it in the field. I just knew I, I live out in rural Norfolk. And when you want to film somewhere for free when you're 16, you nip across into a nearby field um, and hope the farmer isn't around that day. Um, but yeah, I filmed this this concept of, of a boy called Ollie. Uh, the actor was called Ollie, um, a friend of mine from high school. And so the character then became Ollie because um, I was really uh, creative. And yeah, he, he, he witnesses his own death, and it, it, but it's in reverse. So he watches almost like a, someone pressing reverse on, on a scene that he sees himself kind of, yeah, he sees his own death. And that's why the reflection and and peripety are quite similar in that term, in sense of like looking at yourself because I knew, uh, because I'd already done it in peripety and, and the reflection was also a um, a short film script. I knew that I could physically do that, that editing effect of, get, of getting two, two ollies to look at each other. Um, so I liked writing that kind of, that idea. Um, but, but peripety, the short film is out on YouTube somewhere. I'm sure if you searched the Peripety, it would come up. And um, I named it Peripety because uh, that means a sudden reversal. Uh, it's a French word for like a change of a change of circumstances. Um, but it also means a sudden reversal. And there, there was this piece of music that I studied at GCSE. Um, I'd like to say it's classical, but it's, it's probably not. It's, it's awful. Um, it's atonal music and it's by Schoenberg. Um, and it, it's weird. It's like, it's the music, kind of music I, I'd imagine Satan would listen to instead of jazz. Um, but yeah, that's that's where I got the name from, knowing that, that this piece by Schoenberg meant a sudden reversal. And um, yeah, and so I created this this concept. Um, and then I wanted to, to recycle that kind of short film idea and use it for this. Uh, I played around with some new ideas in this. So, so the leaf dropping and stopping in the middle of the air never happens and I wanted to show that like there's like this constant weird warping of time that's happening all around him um and yeah the, the, the pausing of the sound and and yeah so I tried to kind of paint I paint a more vivid picture of it um but yeah get, yeah check out the short film it's it's pretty shoddily made um in terms of camera quality I do some awful practical effects with some blood that just looks like a little ketchup splat on Ollie's head because that's what it was and um but my dad actually did some some cool VFX stuff on it um from what I remember and it was just me Ollie the actor and my friend uh Brad James who is now a musician um it was just us three out in the field and Brad was like the kind of body double um plus stunt person I think I chucked him down a hill and yeah, if there was ever any kind of shots where, like, if, like, so if Ollie approaches someone's feet, that would be Brad lying on the floor wearing the same clothes as Ollie, despite them looking nothing like each other at all. Um, but yeah, so so check that out, and that's kind of where that concept concept came from. So yeah, just to plug again, we've got Raising Co Productions, the company that make this, my theatre company. We're touring our show Last Shot and Confess in March. So two months away, uh, yeah, check out our website, get those tickets, tell your friends, family, come along and see this very similar tone of, of dark, 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 darkness. 
and a bit of dark comedy too. And um, keep an eye out on our socials because we have um, an upcoming announcement about our Edinburgh Fringe 2023 show, which we're very excited about. And it's very linked to this podcast. So yeah, keep following us, uh, liking and sharing our episodes. Follow us on RaisingCaneProductions.com. Tell your friends and family and share the goriness around. Next week, we have Stalker. Um, Stalker's our first first person um, tale in in the podcast. Actually, both episodes five and six are in first person. And Stalker follows the account of a man who is obsessed with a woman called Luna and follows her around, Um, but in true Raising Cane production style there's a bit of an interesting twist so join us next week for another tale from the book at the end of the shelf